Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. Think about how many books are on the shelf about how to be successful. And there's not one book on what to do after you're successful. Yeah. Like what happens after you've gotten all the rings in Sonic the Hedgehog? I've had less than no money. Like, what am I going to eat tonight? You know, that kind of thing. And the truth is new levels and new devils. There is no, you know, every time you go into a different scenario, the fact is you're still there. So if you haven't addressed it with you, it doesn't matter how much money you have. And the truth is you can never tell someone because you can never tell me back in the day that having money is not going to solve anything because I go, okay, let me be the judge. Give me the money. Give me the 10 million. Give me the million. Give me, God, give me $500 and I'll tell you because it's going to solve a lot of things for me. And you're right. It will. It will take the financial burden problems off of your back. But guess what? There's a whole lot of other shit behind that wizard curtain that you're going to need to address when those are gone. And here's the good news. It's not ever going to go away. You're always going to have something you got to deal with. That's the good news. That's called having a human experience. But here's the other good news. Stop trying to look at happiness as an overall state. It's not. Happiness comes in moments. I could be having the worst day in the world and I hear my kids laughing and I get so happy in that moment. And then I go back to what I'm doing with this stuff that I'm dealing with. But I had happiness there for 30 seconds to a minute and a half that is untouched. That's happiness for that moment. And that one moment will fuel the rest of my day. So it's okay, but it's the people that are searching for overall happiness I found in my exploration of humanity is that they're never happy because it's an unreachable goal. It's not about giving up hope, but there's so much false hope and there's just a denial of acceptance of what is actually unfolding. You just have to do for you. Like for me, what I'm on the search for every single day is my own moments. Find the things you appreciate and then live in them for a moment and be okay with that being the thing for the day. A lot of what you're talking about is acceptance. Mm -hmm. This is where we're at and these moments are fleeting. And if we're present with them, we get to experience them. If we're really doing the work, we're not searching for the next experience like that. And also just taking it moment by moment. It's all you can do. And I know that you've, you've had a lot of very positive experiences with psilocybin. Have mm. you done any work with veterans organizations that are supporting that? No, but my, my study into it was what they were doing. Um, meaning uh, for PTSD and just for uh, ultimately getting out of your head, I guess would be a way to say it, where your thoughts aren't overtaking your life. That was kind of my way that was one of the ways in besides, you know, Stamets and Fadiman and all the different talks and all the Ted talks and all the, you know, the different things they were doing to me, that is the, hopefully the ultimate goal because my work prior to anything to do with psilocybin and how I met my wife, which you and I were just talking about was with veterans. And I'm always very intrigued, whether it be veterans or whether it be, you know, uh, prisoners who get out, you know, why recidivism happens is people who we kind of cast aside after they do what they do, whether it be good or bad. So 
we could all agree that people who go over and, you know, fight for the, the, whatever the country we live in, regardless of where you are, you agree that that's pretty noble, right? That they're going to do that. But what they don't do is talk about what happens when they come back and, you know, the, the, the veteran homelessness and, you know, all this stuff. And, and not just that, that's the big stuff. Well, their relationship with their wife or their spouse their relationship with their kids, um, not being able to be in public because they feel, you know, a certain thing. And it's, it's not really addressed because it's like, you did your thing and now we're going to, we've forgotten. And it's the same thing. I always say no criminal wants to do crime, right? And things happen. So, okay, you go to prison to reform. That's the point of going to prison. And then you get out and it's like, good luck. Yeah, there are no choices. They have no choice. And that's why I think what you're saying yeah, with good luck. criminals go to crime because that's kind of their option. Right. And oh, you just lost 17 years of your life. Good luck. The world's changed dramatically. Good luck. Figure it out. And they go, I only know how to do crime. You're going to, is there any programs I can go to? And it's like, no. And then you wonder why recidivism and people go back all the time. They go back because the, it's like we, build these things up. So to back that into psilocybin, ketamine, and all these different therapies that are outside of the, the norm of the, you know, um, and we're realizing more and more and more about the pharmaceutical industry and things that come because they do some amazing, amazing things, but there's work to be done. Like in any situation, my experience that I've seen is that you can change yourself. You can change your exterior, right? So you can't help anyone. You can't do anything. You can't be a benefit to society unless you're at your optimal level. And that's something that I believe my own personal experience, because it's not up to me what anyone else does in the world is I'm at my best in my experience with psilocybin. It's done something very different for me. So I can only speak on my experience and it's been outrageous as someone who does nothing else. You know, I don't drink, I don't smoke or whatever the cliche things are that, you know, people say are horrible for you. Mm. Yeah. How long have you had this kind of uh, psilocybin microdose experience? Uh, in the setting I'm in now, meaning like the, the way I'm doing it now, it's probably been a year and a half. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. A whole different world. And it's, again, it's so minimal. I mean, to get into the specifics, it's super minimal. First time I did it and I'm talking like a microdose, I didn't do it for six, seven months after it, just because I needed to process what it was, what it did. Because I, the only experience I ever had with it was being a young kid who abused things like, you know, um, who had no reasoning, you know, you drank for effect, you did drugs for effect. Everything was for effect. Love was for effect. Sex was for effect. There's no, you're not doing things with a meaning behind them. And I think that that was a tremendous life-changing thing for me because when I started to realize that there's reasoning behind everything, mm. everything you do has a reason. The reason you work. Could be for money, could be for pleasure, could be for whatever. There's a reason you decide to become a parent. There's a reason you, you know, you're a, a, an animal owner. There's a reason, there's a reason you eat a specific thing. And if you look at and you really get down to the reasoning of everything, you'll find all your answers. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes there's, there's wounding down there that's driving our behaviors. 
and we are just so unconscious to it. And once we become aware of it, it's not like we have it figured out. It's like, oh fuck, now I've got to go, I've got to go sit with whatever that is and try to work through it. Or I can continue to do the things that distract me and numb me and allow me to just live in this particular life that doesn't have the intentional, you know, kind of path. And most people don't want to live in that. It's uncomfortable to question yourself. And this is why I tell people, you got to be really careful of the box you put yourself in. And again, my opinions, you know, are irrelevant and they create adversaries. I don't, it's just my feeling from a, from a perspective of living one life, life is over in a blink. Once you box yourself, you don't realize that the box becomes like barbed wire and a cage. Because once you say like, for example, people will say to me all the time, they go, you're a vegan. And I go, eh, sure. Yeah. I don't eat meat, but don't put that on me because what if I have a steak tomorrow? Like, you know what I mean? Like I don't at this moment. Right. And you know, I did a role recently uh, a couple of months ago, the show true story where I did eat eggs because I was only eating very few calories. So I needed to do stuff. So it was like, it, is my vegan card going to get pulled? Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't, I don't want to put myself in that box of like, this is what I do because life is ever changing. Be like water, right? You know, adapt. So it's like, once you start boxing yourself, that means you close yourself to every opinion or to every, or, or that's not even the right word. You close yourself to any knowledge of something else. So if someone goes, well, hey, that's an amazing perspective you have on X. Let me tell you why that might not be correct. And you go, well, I know it's correct. And they go, well, okay, well, I'm an expert in the field. Let me tell you why it might not be. And you can't even hear it if you're so locked in your box. Yeah. I have no interest in that way of life. Yeah. And I love that because I think a lot of people, and, and I've even said it recently, Um, And I think you were very careful the way you even said it that, you know, I don't really drink, I don't smoke or whatever, whatever the thing is, you know, to say that I'm not a drinker all of a sudden puts a label on me. And it's like, I haven't, I haven't drank since last December, but it's like, do I really want that as an identity? Not because it's good or bad, but it, because it does, it puts you in this box. Like all of a sudden I can't have a drink of that wine because I said, I'm, you said you can't. So I need to commit to that. Right. Yeah. And it now, puts up that and, wall. And that's fine. The root of, you know, discipline is the root of all goodness. I get that. I get that. But you also now have put yourself in a position of don't eat the cookie. Yeah. And then it's like, wow, man, I really want that cookie. And it's like, but don't eat it. It's good. Don't eat it. And you start telling yourself that. And then you start wrestling. I knew people who were just as addicted to AA as they were to alcohol. I was around them. They yeah. needed to go to a meeting every single day, twice a day. They need it. And my whole thing was great. You've also just replaced one addiction for another and you're not dealing with the root of the addiction. Same thing that happens with, you know, most that I've seen and I was guilty of it is my addiction. If I have, and I'm sure I have many, one of my biggest addictions is running. I run every day, seven days a week, five to eight miles, five to seven miles every single day, no matter what people think that is lunacy. I'm sure it is. Is it addiction? Yes. Is it probably better than snorting cocaine off the back of a toilet? Probably. But the thing is, is I don't, sure, 
if it makes me happy and if snorting cocaine off the back of a toilet makes you happy, again, that's your life. I'm saying for me, I'm sure it's addiction from when I was younger because it's kind of who I am. I go full on in everything that I do. So I have to be careful of being full on in things. Currently, I'm full on in being a dad. I'm full on in being the best artist I can be. I'm full on in exploration of myself. I'm full on in avoiding, I would say all human beings, but (laughs) negative human beings at all costs, which unfortunately has become 99% of the population. So that would probably be what I'm full on in at the moment. Very wise. I love, you know, we, we got put together through Natasha, your publicist. And uh, I just love the way it kind of happened. I had had a, a, a friend of mine on Steve Astafin who, do you know Steve? Mm-mm. Yeah. So Steve. He, I might. And I just don't know. No, he's an agent and he's worked with Natasha for a long time. And, she loved the episode and Steve was, you know, just very kind of open mm. during the episode. She's like, Hey, would you have a uh, Travis Van Winkle on? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. And then she's like, I'm like, is he in Austin? Cause I love to do mine in person. She's like, he's yes. not I'm like, okay, no problem. We can do it over zoom. And she's like, well, Theo Rossi's in, mm-hmm. in Austin. Would you have him on? I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then it took a while for us to get this together. And, uh, and I generally don't, bring people on that I don't know. Yeah, it's awesome. But when I was doing kind of a little research and I listened to your podcast with, with Michael uh, Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum. Yeah. I was like, Oh, this guy, Lex Luthor. This guy's rad. Lex Luthor from uh, Smallville. Smallville. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, I'm really going to enjoy it. Cause I, I just loved how open you are and curious and non-dogmatic and you really invite people to have their own experience. And that's a lot of what I've tried to share on this podcast is have your own experience. That's your truth. That's it. And be okay with that. That's it. We're all just having a human experience here. That's all we're doing. We're all just literally having a human experience that is shitty. Sometimes is great. Sometimes, sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's fucking sad. Here's the thing. We're all having them. If we all go around masquerading that we're not, and that, you know, everything is perfect, you're lying to yourself. And that's fine. Having positive attitudes is great. Having negative attitudes is great if it serves you. My whole thing is 99% of the shit you're worrying about is irrelevant. Who the fuck cares? You're going to die. That is a certainty. That is going to happen. You are also not in control of most of the things that are happening to you. And I'm in a business that is so filled with falsehoods because everybody is scared shit. They're scared shit if they're going to get a job. They're scared shit if they're ever going to be the actor or the artist that they hope they're going to be. They're scared shit if, if you know, they, they are going to make these dreams. There's always someone ahead. There's always someone on the billboard. There's always a bigger movie. There's always, so they're always, they're always in an always position. Ha, ha, ha. And because of that, they're not truthful, which means that they are, they, when they get in positions to speak about themselves, they want to say what they think is going to sell them. Hmm. And it's horseshit. Yeah. You see right through it. You see right through it. The, first of all, the eyes never lie. Second of all, it's like, you're lying. You, 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 
you haven't had the experiences to justify this conversation that you're trying to have. And it's like they move with the wind, the wind, and there's no foundation. And if you have no foundation, first of all, let's just take it to the most basic reasoning. How can you ever be a really good artist? Art comes from your foundational place of who you are, your truth of who you are, your experiences emotionally and everything. So if you can't invest in those, you can't be truthful to yourself. Eventually, somebody's going to pull your card. Eventually, they're going to know. So I, I played that game for a long time. And then I got to this point where I was just sitting there and I had done enough shows and I'd done enough movies and I was doing enough press and I was just looking around and going, God, this is bullshit. God, this is all bullshit. And how, thank, how long ago was that? It happened with the rise of podcasts. Cause I realized you got to remember pre podcast, pre long form conversation, everything is scripted. Mm. Late night shows are scripted. You do a pre-call. They know what you're going to talk about. You know how it goes, right? It's all scripted. The whole world is a falsehood in that, in the way it was set up. When you go on to the talk shows, it's very quick. Hey, so we want to tell you about this and tell us a funny story. And it's like, <laughs> and it's all false and we're leave. How was it? How was it? How was it? Was it good? And it's like, you're just, People are more concerned with the way they look. They're more concerned with the way there's no substance. So as I was realizing that, as I was kind of getting beat up and defeated by it, not defeated, I guess that would be wrong to say. I think that I was just watching it from a, from a 10,000 foot view going like, this is the way it's always been. And this is the way it's always going to be. But yet the people that I love and admire in the arts are people that buck the system. Who are those guys? Basquiat, Dolly, Tupac, Biggie. Uh, you know, you can even go into sports. Ken Griffey with his hat back, which Jordan with the gold chain. We realize we don't realize that our that the people we put up on the pedestal are the people who buck the system. They're not the people who played it the same way. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to have it both ways right now. We're trying to have the we're trying to have greats, but without the faults. We're trying to have Tupac without him spitting on the meteor in the Red Wings jersey. We're trying to have Biggie without the crack sales. We're, we're, we're trying to have Jordan without him saying, I'm wearing these sneakers and you're going to find me and I don't care because I'm not wearing those. So we're trying to take away the thing that made them who they are. Dolly walking the anteater in New York City on the subway. That would be, you know, you'd, they would try to 5150 him right now. Mm. But yet he's Salvatore Dolly. Basquiat was selling his art for drugs. Yet people want to collect them and they would call him a drug addict today. You can't have both. And we're missing out on greatness. We're missing out on greatness because we want everyone to be perfect. And no one is perfect, even the people who are saying it. And they can't admit it because they don't know themselves. So it's this cycle. So it's like you have to be careful and everybody's being careful because the harpoon chases the biggest fish. <laughs> Especially in your business. In, my, in, in any business, the bigger you get, the more the harpoon's on you. That's a fact. That's the one you hold up on the boat. Because they won. Look who I got. He thought he was great. She thought she was great. Uh-uh, not on my watch. They were living that beautiful life in the big ocean, and I'm the one with the small harpoon. But I won. 
So to me, when I started to realize that, when I started to go, okay, my only job in this business is to be a court jester. I've said this before. I'll say it again. My only job is to entertain. It's what I signed up for. I want you to be entertained. Hate me, love me, feel something. That's my only job. Because of that, I am resigned to the fact that I am, don't exist. I am no one except for who I am as the character. So with that, anything about me personally is irrelevant. Because what I've resigned the fact to is that I'm here to entertain. The day I decide not to entertain, well, then I'll tell you more about Theo. So when I was doing these things, I started to realize that I was being, why was I being so, why was I being so like, I didn't want to say anything. Why didn't I want to talk about my bad past or why didn't I want to talk about stuff that I went through? Why didn't I want to do this? And I started to realize for me, the way I can justify it was because I want you to believe my characters and not know anything about me. But the world has changed dramatically. And when the podcast started rising up and I started seeing long form conversation with real people, I started to realize what was I drawn to? Wow. When you see someone talking now on any platform similar to this, it's way more interesting than someone who's on a two, two, three minute morning show, you know, because it's real. I, I was, I did a morning show yesterday for this movie we have coming out. Which, by the way, I didn't know you were in the movie. I was going to bed last night with my wife and I turned on, it's on Netflix, yeah? Which one? Um, we were doing it Emily, Emily the, the criminal. criminal. Oh, no, it's on uh, Apple. Where did I, oh, that was where it was. I was on, you know, Apple TV and I saw it up there. I was like, I fucking love Aubrey Plaza, but I'm like 15 minutes, maybe 10 from going to sleep, but maybe I'll check that out. And then this morning, you know, I'm doing a little prep. I was like, motherfucker, you were in that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. So rad. Anyway. And the movies, her and I, and you know, we're doing these press interviews, everything. Cause it just, you know, it was in theater. Now it's on VOD and it's just really interesting, right? You're doing it and you're, you're kind of like sweating because you're like, okay. They're like, okay, three, two, one, here we go. Oh, okay. You feel like you're on a, like a rocket and you're going like, and then they just go, Hey everybody, you know him from Sons of Anarchy and da, 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 and you go, oh, fuck, here we go. Okay. They're going to ask me if I ride motorcycles. Let me ask. And, and then it's like, you know, what's going to happen. And it's bizarre. It's not real. No one's listening. There's an earpiece in. No one's hearing each other. Wow. And I get it. It's a form of something. It's Skittles compared to the dinner. I get it. <laughs> I get it. It's not going to fill you up. Kind of looks nice to look at. But at the end of the day, what are we doing? What are we doing here, all of us? We're just trying to find connection of any sort. But our ego and our and our our own life kind of takes us away from so much that we're just like, is how much money does this person have? And what are they wearing? And what is this? And what is that? And you start to like get in your own head and it's all horseshit. You can't control any of it. Mm, I love it. Yeah, and I, that's why that's 
you know, I'd say that's why I started the podcast because I really enjoyed having conversations with people. And I was having so many, what I felt like were meaningful conversations that were one-on-one. It's like, ah, like, I want to share this, this wisdom that this person is bringing to me. I'll do my best to share it with my buddies, but is there a way that I can get that out to a larger audience? You're doing it. And then it's, and then it becomes about connection is dropping into the space and sure. I'll do a little bit of, you know, kind of research, but ultimately I just want it to go where it goes. What's interesting to us in this moment. And let's just follow those threads. Yeah. Because you can only do so much research, right? It's like, what's enough, right? What's enough. You gonna watch two movies. You're gonna watch 20. You're gonna watch every single thing the person did. You're gonna watch every, no, the thing is, is you're going to know right away who someone is. This is why dogs are so incredible. They know who you are before you say a word. You know what I mean? Why animals are like that? You know, I sit with my chickens in the morning, this morning and watching them, it took them two, three weeks to figure out who I was, you know? And now they're like, Oh, cool. Here's the guy who comes in and plays opera and Edith P off on his phone. And I sit with them always. And I always play the certain classical music. And when they hear Claude Debussy or Bach, they know I'm coming. No. And then they relax and they sit. We have our time. They feed them their little worms and, you know, their thing. And we do our thing. We've now garnered trust. I, they know what I want from them and I know what they want from me. I just want to be with them. I just want to connect. They're what they want from me. Who knows? Maybe it's the worms. Maybe it's the music. Maybe it's just to peck at my boots. Maybe it's just to sit quietly. The point is, is that it's transactional. There's no amount of research you can do that's going to prepare you for the moment of when you meet someone and you always know. It doesn't change. People are who they are the second you meet. They are giving you the best version of themselves. So God, what's the bad one going to look like? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? That's the best. What's the bad one? Yeah, yeah, I had never thought about that. That's great. So I'm always aware. And this is why, you know, Bruce Lee said, you know, um, listen to the, the greatest warriors, listen, observe, and ponder. You can figure out everything by the way people are, just by looking at them, just by the way they move. I watch people the way they tap their foot. I look at their shoes. I look at this. And it's not a judging thing. I'm just, these are people that I'm going to do something with spend my precious moments of my life, all of our precious moments, because we're all going to die. If I'm going to, and that's not morbid, you know, the greatest Stoics say you should question your own mortality every single day. It's like, if I'm going to spend this time with someone, I got to know who I'm getting into and they're not going to tell me. So let me see what I can read. You know, there's a couple of great excuse me, a couple of great books on it, right? What everybody is saying, the body tells you everything you mm. need to know. So you can see, you can see right away. And it's not the basic things that people think the crossing of the arms, this, it's not that you can just tell in the way people take care of themselves and the way they move the, with their nervousness and all this different stuff. And I only know that because my job is to kind of transform into other people. How can I transform into other people if I don't know what they do? You know, I have no interest in playing myself because I don't even know who the fuck I am Mm. because I'm someone different in every transaction. I'm not the same person who was sitting with the chickens this morning. Not the same person who's going to be with the goats. 
and the pregnant goat. I'm not going to be with I'm not the same person who's going to be on with my best friend since I was eight years old. So you're different in every scenario. You just have to admit that to yourself. That's okay. How challenging is it for, for, for you, you know, and other, other actors who have to play these roles and like, how often do you take that home? And it's like, whoops, sorry, honey. Like I'm in character. And I think your role with, with Sons of Anarchy, Mm -hmm. you know, just again, as I was learning more about you, it was hard Mm -hmm. because you really had to take that on. Yeah, I wasn't um, trained enough, not as an actor. I wasn't trained enough as a person to realize not how, how not to do that. I'm, so you went full into like what your version of method acting would be? Sure. That's, and that's what I studied to begin with, you know, uh, Stanislavski and at, at uh, Lee Strasberg School and all that. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was it, it was by no fault of anyone else's, but it was my own lack of maturity that I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't have the tools on how to get out of the character. People hear that and they think it's horseshit. And I agree with them, right? I think actors who talk about acting is one of the most repulsive things on the planet because it's silly, right? Cause it's unique to them. But at the same time, we're talking about experience. So, you know, leave the, the, the judgment about acting out and just talk about being an individual, right? If you were, in a high pressured situation as a lawyer, you know, a really hard case for six months a year, that's going to bleed into your work at home. It's going to bleed into your relationship with your family. It's going to bleed into whatever. If it's this really high stakes case, whatever those stakes are, it's up to the observer. In the position I was in on that show, I just didn't know, I didn't have the maturity now that I have now to handle, I know how to leave things back. I know how to be a dad around my kids. It doesn't mean that I don't look the way I look. You know, it doesn't mean I don't walk like the character and it doesn't mean that they're not going to hear the music that that character listens to when they're in the car with dad, because that's what I do. It just means that I'm not, you know, playing this, you know, suicidal killer when I'm around them in a certain way. Well, I think you bring up an interesting point and, and it's, it's too easy for people to, to look at people in Hollywood to look at professional athletes and, think that they're not human, but it, it, well, that's because they think money solves everything. Oh yeah. I'm living proof that it doesn't. No, I think you are as well. And it's just one of those things where that's another reason I love having this medium is because I get to bring on people who have had quote unquote success and should have everything perfect myself included. Mm -hmm. And it's like just getting all that out there to let people know that maybe haven't had that experience. Cause if you have had that experience, you know, it ain't all it's cooked up to be. No new levels equal new devils. You know, I've had less than no money. You know, I've been on the other side of no money, right? Like what am I going to eat tonight? You know, that kind of thing. And the truth is new levels and new devils. There is no, you know, every time you go into a different scenario, the fact is you're still there. So if you haven't addressed it with you, it doesn't matter how much money you have. And the truth is, as someone who still has multiple friends and family members who have less than no money, you can never tell someone because you can never tell me back in the day that not having, you know, that having money is not going to solve anything because I go, okay, let me be the judge. Give me the money. Give yeah. me the 10 million. Give me the million. Give me God, give me $500 and I'll tell you because it's going to solve a lot of things for me. And you're right. 
It will. It will take the financial burden problems off of your back. But guess what? There's a whole lot of other shit behind that wizard curtain that you're going to need to address when those are gone. And yes, you might say they're easier and they might be because the creditors and the people aren't knocking at your doors and all that. But now the truth is no matter what you do, you got to sit alone with yourself. Mm -hmm. And those moments when you're in the shower or those 10 minutes before you go to bed, when everything's silent, it's just you and you. It doesn't matter how much fucking money you have in the bank. No, and I think you're right. And I, I think uh, sometimes that financial instability can act as a distraction to the, the deeper shit that's going on. And, and when that is quote unquote solved, when you are in the shower, something is going to come up for you mm-hmm. and it's going to be uncomfortable. And you may not have the tools. Generally, we don't have the tools in that, in that you know, situation to deal with it. Now, the financial issues, the tool seems to be money, right? It's a little bit more black and white, but as you know, in my own experience, as I've opened up and been curious about, you know, what makes me do the things I do that I don't love. And here's the good news. It's not ever going to go away. You're always going to have something you got to deal with. That's the good news. That's called having a human experience. It's never going to be perfect, but here's the other good news. Stop trying to look at happiness as an overall state. It's not. Happiness comes in moments. I could be having the worst day in the world and I hear my kids laughing and I get so happy in that moment. And then I go back to what I'm doing with this stuff that I'm dealing with. But I had happiness there for 30 seconds to a minute and a half that is untouched. That I'm ne- that's the peak of happiness. Hearing them laugh me laughing because they're laughing and enjoying their life and being so engulfed in whatever they're doing. That's happiness for that moment. And that one moment will fuel the rest of my day. So it's okay, but it's the people that are searching for overall happiness I found in my exploration of humanity is that they're never happy. Because it's an unreachable goal. It's like the game that I'm in with acting and producing and directing. Nobody wins this game. You know, some say nobody gets out alive, which is true. Nobody gets out of anything alive, but nobody wins the game of acting. Nobody wins the game of directing, producing, and creating art. It's an unwinnable game because some people are going to like it and some people are going to hate it. And it's never going to be big enough. The people who make the $200 million movies want to do the cool million dollar movies. And the ones who make the million dollar movies want enough money from the, you know, the big giant tentpole movies. It will never be enough. It will never be because there's always another thing. You could have a black car and want a red car sometimes. It's just so you have to understand that nothing is, you can't just shoot for something that's illogical. It's illogical to think that you're going to be happy all the time. Grateful? Sure. But you're not going to be grateful all the time. You're lying to yourself. Hmm. You know, and it's why I think that a lot of the stuff, a friend of mine and I are talking about this a lot. It's why that like the whole hustle porn world and all that is so strange, right? Because it's like trying to tell you, you know, you're not good enough, but you got to get up at 4 a.m. and you got to do this. And if you don't do that, you're a piece of shit. And it's like, oh man, hold on, hold on. God, I get up at six. Am I a piece of shit? And it's like, you know, and it's like, but that's all follow the money, follow the ego. It's all for someone else to make money. It's all for someone else to feel superior. 
And at the end of the day, it's all ludicrous. You just have to do for you. Like for me, what I'm on the search for every single day is my own moments. What are my moments today? Today, I got to drive here from my place quietly and enjoy a drive and just enjoy it and go, wow, this is cool. Saw some crazy guy up the block trying to rip down his fence (laughs) and then he was slamming it and, you know, going nuts. I think I'm not sure what was going on with him. (laughs) Saw these beautiful deer. I saw a few goats. It's like, I'm taking it in. I'm enjoying the moment. I appreciate that 40 minute drive. You have to find the things you appreciate and then live in them for a moment and be okay with that being the thing for the day. But most people aren't. It's good to have ambition. It's good to go for the brass ring at all times. It's also not realistic. Yeah. It's that hamster wheel that, and it's like filling that void that's unfillable, mm-hmm. just a state of, and I think a lot of what you're talking about is acceptance. Mm-hmm. This is where we're at and these moments are fleeting. And if we're present with them, we get to experience them. And if we're really doing the work, we're not searching for the next experience like that. And also just taking it moment by moment. It's all you can do. What, what, you know, my business manager said something the other day. It was so great. He goes, I learned my biggest lesson when his lawyer friend slammed him against the wall and said, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Are you going to die? What's going to happen? What's the worst thing that's going to happen? And it's like, if you tell yourself that, if you slam yourself against the wall and go, what's the worst thing that's going to happen here? Like literally you're staring down this thing that's keeping you up. It's making you grind your teeth. It's making you lose your mind. It's making you distract by going down these rabbit holes of all these other things instead of confronting. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? You're going to die. Okay. You died. Yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> you know, so it's, it's again, I, I don't mean to be so, you know, flippant on things, but I think that's the other thing. I've always been completely flabbergasted by the way we celebrate birth, but the way we talk about death, mm. what do we think is going to happen? Of course we're going to die. That's okay. The, the less we talk about it, the more strange it becomes. Talk about it. Isn't that like knowing that, isn't that okay? Why are we extending? We're always extending. Who wants to live forever? We want to do this. We want to do that. And instead of living fully in the life you're in, you want to live forever in hopes that it's going to change. It's insanity. It's the definition of insanity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. And in our culture in particular, you know, death is hidden behind the, the door back there and we don't talk about it. And I think, you know, we, we, we do a lot of people a disservice in that. And I love a lot of Ram Dass's work mm-hmm. around that. Mm-hmm. Right. And that really opened it. my eyes. It's like, let's, let's let them leave this experience in peace and, 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 you know, don't give, it's not about um, giving up hope, but there's so much false hope and there's just a denial of or acceptance of what is actually unfolding and very natural order Let's of things. talk about it. It's like, you know, it's like I tell people in, in the business, think about this. 
think about how many books are on the shelf about how to be successful. And there's not one book on what to do after you're successful. Hmm. Well, I'm writing one right (laughs) now that may touch on some of that. After you're successful. Yeah. Like what happens after you've gotten all the rings in Sonic the Hedgehog? Then what happens? Yeah. Now what, what's the work to be done? So it's also the same thing with like, we don't talk about death. That's not a conversation people want to have because they go, "Uh oh, it's morbid. And I go, is it? Fascinating. Fascinating. You hear one moment and you're gone. Your spirit's here. Uh, you know, the law of thermodynamics, energy cannot be created nor destroyed, just moved. It's like, okay, let's dive into that. But the truth is, again, we can, you know, harken back to what we just said about long form conversations where it's giving people a chance to go down these and have these conversations. But the truth is we're in, we're in a place where many people are instability of mentally and physically and financially. And like you said, if financial is the main thing that you're thinking of, you can't think about anything else. No, it's all encompassing because there is that underlying feeling and, and you touched upon it. Am I going to die? I think a lot of our fears come from this idea that this situation may cause us to die. And Mm -hmm. it's like, when we dive into that, when we actually ask ourselves the question, is this going to make me die? No. Okay. I can breathe. Now I can maybe start to think a little bit more rationally about what's in front of me. It's like I tell a friend of mine who's always worried about stuff. I go, okay, what's going to happen? You're going to lose your place. I have a guest house. Come live in my guest house. What what, I have enough food. My wife goes to Costco all the time. I have food forever. You can eat. Okay. So now you have food. You have shelter. What else? You're not going to die. No one's shooting you. So even if you lose everything, you're never going to lose everything because I just told you you have everything. But it's, it's really hard to rationalize, you know, a, a spiral. It's really hard because we, we need to create it. We need to live. It's why most people prefer negativity over positivity. And I think why choose either just live in the space of whatever happens in the moment happens in the moment. You don't have to choose either. Just be with what a space is and be okay with talking about it in that moment. You know, like my wife loves to go to concerts and like all these outdoor things and like being around tons of people. And I despise it. We've now come to the point in our marriage where she understands. Don't ask me. And the reason being is because I think people are unpredictable. I'm also in a weird business of my job where people act strange. And sometimes 99% of that is absolutely incredible. The 1% that might happen to be shit-faced, it's not. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's, so you have to be, you know, protective in your head, you know, so you're thinking about things. So certain things become unenjoyable. Now, the truth is, before I ever got into what I did, I was never really a big crowd person. So it's not for me. My wife loves it. That's awesome. We now know who we are in that situation. So she's not going to ask me and I'm not going to ask her to go running every morning. And I'm not. So once you're aware of your situation with all the people in your life and you're aware of who they are, stop trying to change people to who they are. If they're they're going to get somewhere, they're going to get there on their own. It ain't going to be by you forcing them. So 
you know, it's like in sobriety, you know, it's like, uh, I've had many people where they go, um, Oh, I knew you'd be here at one point. You know, it's like, they know you can see it in someone. You're going to have your big crash. You'll be here. You'll try this out or you won't and you might die. That's okay. It's all in you. You, you know, the, you know, a big thing that it was really recent to me and it's kind of weird to say is that, you know, Alan Watts says it a lot as the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, you got to be careful of the goody goodies, right? You know, Mm. it's like the goody goodies, you know, who want to save everyone. You got to be real careful. And that's a really strange thing to say in today's world, because when you hear that, people go, what do you mean? You're not supposed to do good. He goes, no, no, no. But what's the intention? If the intention is to get more eyes on you, then the intention is not to help people. It's through ego for you to show that you're helping people. And then people go, well, it doesn't matter. At least it's getting done. And I say, that's fair. It's a fair point. And yes, as someone who's done more than their share in every single way from veterans to, you know, to, to everything else, mass bailout to hurricane relief, I get it. But at the same time, I've always had to question why I was doing it. See, I want to see everybody win in life, in any situation, because I just want to see people succeed because I'm so proud of it. I want to see forward movement in everything and everyone because I'm at a point where I'm okay with myself. And I think that a lot of people are not. And because of that, they start to do things that they think they need to do to get to that. But again, going back to what I said earlier, yes, everybody's going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. Yeah. What pulled you out of that kind of, I don't know, would you call it a dark place, funk, depression with, with sons? Like was it? Experience, age, life experience, The more life experience I had, the more I was able to go, inside of me, like the more I was able to confront things like in my own that I'd probably been pushing off for a long time. Did you have any like uh, mentors, teachers, and it could be someone like a Ram Dass where you read his stuff or were there, sure. what, what came up for you that was like, that's the thing I've been looking for and I didn't know it. Yeah. So I'll tell you something that's strange. So there was a movie many, many, many years back when I was still, you know, I call it my idiot days, right. Where I was just blind to the fact of the world, right? And to the fact of my world, right? When I say the world, I mean my world, because ultimately I'm a believer in like your eyes are the aperture of the world. Like the only world that I see is my world. I don't see your world. I don't see her world. I only see my world, right? So when I say I was blind to the facts of the world, I was probably blind to the facts of my own world. I would, you know, I probably needed a shit ton of Windex, right? To see, I just didn't, I didn't, it was foggy for me. And I would, when I would deal with anything to do with mental health, like when I would see like, there's this great movie Chaplin with Robert Downey Jr. and Anthony Hopkins. And at the end of it, he says to uh, Robert Downey Jr. who's playing Charlie Chaplin, Anthony Hopkins character who's writing a book says, Charlie, tell me about the madness. And you see, you know, Charlie Chaplin's face and he, because, you know, he had a lot of mental health issues. And I was at a point where I couldn't even watch that scene because it would put me into like a panic attack. Like it would make me feel like I was going 
insane because I was dealing with like this, all these deep panic attacks. And instead of addressing it, I ran from it. And then like, why I stopped drinking, why I stopped smoking, why I stopped doing everything, right? Is certain things would put me in like panic attack modes. And I said, I can't live like this. And I started addressing things head on. It was like, you know, cause it would lead to other things. Like, you know, I had a fear of heights and then I jumped out of a plane. Mm. You know, and then <laughs> once I jumped out of a plane, I never had a fear of heights anymore. No shit. No. Cause never. I still have a fear. And I jump out of a plane. Maybe. But it's, you're, you're, you're literally, you know, staring at the lion while his mouth's open and you go, okay, what's, is that the best you got? Okay. And if the best you got is death, let's go, let's dance. Right. So when I started doing that and started confronting life like that, everything started to change. And this is post sons where I said, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to be triggered by a line in a film. This is silly. I'm not going to, I can't, what, what, what is my state of mind if that's what's happening? So I started going down all these rabbit holes and even that started putting me. So in the early days, I started listening to, you know, people like Alan Watts, Ram Dass, and I would listen to it too deeply and I would go, oh, I got to shut it off. I'm going, I'm going somewhere else. Oh, you're deep in the yeah, rabbit hole. Yeah, this life yep. isn't real. I, nothing's real. Yeah, this is this. Fuck, and, yeah. I, and I started going and I would go, fuck. I go, I can't handle this. Can't handle it. I got to shut it off. And then I went, no, that's a form of what I was just dealing with. This is crazy. You got to be able to take it all in. Let that wave pass. Yes. Feel it. What is it? Why? What are you nervous about? And what it all came back to was the same thing. I was scared of death. I was scared of dying. And once I conquered that fear, I'm good. I could die tomorrow. I could die right here in this chair. Let's hope I don't. It would be really heavy for you guys to get out. But it'd be it was, kind of, it'd be weird. I could handle you. It'd be a but, big podcast. I mean, that would really put this podcast studio on the yeah, map. Yeah. It would be enormous for your, for everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we would trend for like at least six hours. <laughs> yeah, it, would, it would be, it would trend for a minute and then it would be something with, you know, some celebrity getting divorced, but it would be great for those six hours. But the truth is I have no fear of it. I don't. And people are very weird when I say that, but I don't, I really, none of it bothers me. Anymore. I'm going to die. Okay, cool. If I die now or at 93, the way I think I'm going to great. 93 yeah. is just the number. Yeah. I was, if I close my eyes, I was 21. If I close my eyes again, I was nine. If I close my, I, I remember seeing all this stuff. So at the end of all this anxiety, at the end of all this narcissism, at the end of all this egomania, at the end of all of it is death. Yeah. So that resonates with me deeply because I had a similar uh, connection to death, fucking scared to death of it. And when I had my first psilocybin journey, mm -hmm. which was Five, five years ago. Yeah. Five years ago. Did you do a macro dose or a yeah, macro? Oh, you did a macro? Five, five grams. Wow. Forget in it. a ceremony setting and everything shifted after that. It's like, I felt like I experienced death and I embraced the fact that there's something much more beautiful on the other side. And I don't, uh, Talk, you can't explain it. Yeah. And I can't pretend to actually like that I know, but I have mm -hmm. this feeling that gives me comfort mm -hmm. that, um, 
worrying about death and what happens to me. Like I've gone down that rabbit hole where I was in the shower one time. I had smoked a little bit of cannabis and I was Mm. like, okay, so I die. Then what happens? And then it's like, is it painful? And then am I in pain for eternity? And what, 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 what does that mean? My soul, Mm -hmm. does it feel like, and it was like, whoa, dude, you do not have the capacity for Mm -hmm. this. I say I'm too dumb for that. And I just let go of it. It's like, there's, and you said it earlier, there's nothing, absolutely nothing I can do about any of that stuff. Mm -mm. It's out of your hands. It's just, so why have any kind of anxiety around that? And so that, that did really help me. And I think once you live that way, as long as, again, it's your own choice or your own experience, but you know, I don't necessarily think of myself as a daredevil because of it. Like I'm just trying to cheat death, but I'm also just comfortable with like, it is kind of, it is what it is. It is what it is. And see, sometimes that sentiment seems very simple to people. It's like, it's like why people hate arguing with me. Cause I go, what can I do about it? I'm like, what do you want to do? That's surrender. And what people do just do not want to surrender. They're like, oh, but you said this. I go, okay, I said that. What do you want to do? About it? What are we doing here? Yeah. You'd be a son of a bitch to argue yeah. with. <laughs> and it's like, I'm trying to be rational with you. Like, okay, I said that it hurt your feelings. What do you want to do about it? I'm sorry. What do you want to do now? What? Yeah. You need a minute? <laughs> yeah. Like, good. and we again, good. like just what, but what are we going to do about it? So when you surrender to it all of just like, all I can do is all I can do. Can't do much more. I can only tell you, people don't want to hear that. No, I need the fantasy. Yeah. No, I need, I need drama. No, I need, and I go, okay, I'm not going to do that because that's what I do for a living. Can't do that. I don't have it in me. So, and, and in psilocybin, like you just said, I mean, especially on a macro dose, I mean, that's when you become Spider-Man on the ceiling. You know, that's when you become, you know, Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible, you know, coming down, you're watching it all. Mm-hmm. And what that's doing is it's showing you in my mind from the theater perspective and going, see that nonsense, see that nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Now what? And you go, Oh shit. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. And so if you know that everything's easier, people go, you're so Zen. And I go, no, I'm not. (laughs) I'm a fucking wreck. But the thing is, is I'm okay. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm curious of a couple of things. <laughs> Again, listening to the, the podcast you did with Michael, I, I loved you sharing about the experience and was it Liberace's old penthouse mm. and just like that giving you a glimpse of, oh, this is all, what we see is all bullshit. It's all bullshit. So I wonder like how much that like, were you able to shift from that or is that just something you store away? Like this is fucking ridiculous and interesting but yeah. it seems like you know the work that you came to later was the thing that really allowed you to see that it's all bullshit yeah it's all a game yeah so you know i had this job where i was bartending after hours at liberace's old penthouse in la for a couple of years and it would open up at two in the morning and it would close at 11 o'clock the next afternoon and it was open on saturday fridays friday nights and saturdays which meant saturday and Sundays. and 
it was only for like the elite of the elite to get in, like guys to get in had to be somebody and, you know, uh, girls to get in, you know, whatever. This is back in pre pre smartphones. Right. And, um, I was the only bartender and there were two waitresses, uh, and you know, then a plethora of drug dealers operating in there. And it was, <laughs> you know, as someone who was on the come up, who had done a bunch of guest stars and was really like, you know, I'm like a Hollywood historian. So I was like, I'm, I'm in this, you know, I, I, I've bowed to the cult of Hollywood. Like I am in it, right. You, it's going to be hard to convince me out of it. You know, the Cary Grants and the, and the, and the Betty Davises and all my favorites forever. And, and, and the Greta Garbo's and kind of what the life was and all this. And then here I am at this place working and I'm seeing the top tier level people at that time come in. And I realize that they are flawed human beings, like super flawed, <clears throat> not the people. Cause back then, remember this is, you know, pre social media where you now see people, you know, at the gas station, you know what I mean? This was uh -huh. Johnny Carson, Jay Leno, late night talk show is only crafted, crafted Ooh. appearances. This was never getting a real moment from a, from a, from a person in their position. And I would watch them come in and I went, Oh fuck. They're no different than me. These are flawed individuals. And when the, and when the, when you go behind the wizard curtain, when the persona is taken away, when the five second sound bites taken away, when the red carpet's taken away, you got issues. Made me a lot better of an actor. It also made the, my goals much more realistic. It made me go, oh, okay, I can do this. Well, yeah. How did it make you a better actor? Just because you saw these are just normal people. They weren't. I didn't put anybody in like godlike states anymore. Yeah. I wasn't like that's unattainable. It was super attainable after that. You know, like for me, watching Michael Jordan play or Charles Barkley or Clyde Drexler or, you know, watching them play was unattainable. I'm not going to be Patrick Ewing. I'm not going to be seven foot and go to Georgetown. Like it didn't work. It's unattainable. But then when I met all those guys, I realized that that's just a physical stature. There was something behind where they got to, but they're also just flawed human beings having a human experience. And the thing is, is that we put, when once we make things unattainable, they are unattainable. But once you make them attainable, once you rationalize that it could happen, that it's a possibility, it makes your journey to it a lot easier. But again, I mean, I think that um, that moment and that time in my life was incredible because I was, again, I was doing, I was always doing self-inventory like you. I've always been the guy who had you know, the, even as a child, I've always had the, the bird on my shoulder going, Hey, I think this is all real. You know what's going <laughs> on here? And I go, what? Get this thing away from me. Yeah. And it was like, even as a kid, you know, as an artist, as growing up in New York city, I would go, God, what is this? Am I losing my mind? At seven, eight, nine, 14, always questioning the human experience, always questioning the veil that no one talks about. And then when I come to find out, I said, everybody's thinking about it. And no one talks about it. Yeah. 
They and I love that. Yeah, they are now. They are now, now. because of podcasts and 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 you know it's become. I feel like this is the whole awakening that's been maybe unfolding over the last couple of years. That's again, it has its shadow side too, because especially in this community, mm-hmm. everybody's awake and everybody's awake. Unfortunately, a lot of those folks are just ungrounded. So it's it's you know you got to kind of sift your way through it a little bit. But you know everyone yeah, and- has their intentions of like. Well, most people have like, I want to get to the bottom. Why the fuck I'm here? Here's the other thing. It's the placebo effect. Whatever helps you, helps you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like if you, I don't give a shit what it is. If you do this, you know, if you listen to Ram Dass every day and that makes you a, a kind human being, keep on trucking. If you need to, you know, be a part of a certain political faction or religion or whatever it is, and that keeps you being a kind person, keep on trucking. If you're an asshole, maybe the thing you're doing isn't working. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? If you're angry all the time, if you're losing your mind, maybe you're on the wrong part of the plan. Mm. So again, I say the placebo effect because it doesn't matter what gets you there. And what is there, there is being kind, centered, calm, and not being a threat to everyone else around you. Mm. You don't want to blow up the world. Nobody wants to be around that person. And, and if you follow anything else, what do we all know? What are we here for? Connection. That's what we're here for. Connection. That's it. Connection to other people. It's why we watch TV at night. It's why we read books why we listen to podcasts. We're trying to connect through something. Okay. So if connection's it, don't you want to be the best version of yourself so you can connect? Because you can scorch the earth. But at the end of the day, after you light everything on fire, the only thing left to light on fire is yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That hasn't worked out well for many people. No. They try it, but I tried it. Everybody tries it. You try to scorch the earth and then, you know, eventually you got to turn the match on yourself. Yeah. Okay. So tell me this, by the way, right before you got here, I was scrolling through and I realized that you played Gene in True Story. Mm, one of my favorites. It fucking blew me away. It's like, oh my God, that like, <laughs> like, holy shit. I love the show. How hard was that role to play? No, oh, it was my favorite. I get welled up thinking about Gene. Um, oh, so like, mm. I love Gene. I love behind the scenes Gene. Um, <laughs> we didn't have a lot of time, you know, and I wanted to lose a significant amount of weight. I wanted to make him a certain way. I wanted to make him almost like a creature, like something, but like a, like a flower that you're always worried is going to break. Like I just wanted to make him something that was, so precious yet at the same time, so dangerous. And he, you know, it's something that's beautiful, but dangerous. Like was, was the way I was kind of backing into him. And, um, I loved him. I loved him. And uh, I felt really sad for him. Um, you know, same way I do it all right. You know, it starts with the music, the the look, what kind of clothes did I wear? What did they eat? I was fortunate with that one because it was, and it's weird to say, right? I was fortunate because there was, 
we were in the middle of a global pandemic and I couldn't leave my hotel for three months. I was unfortunate because we were in a global pandemic and the fucking world was, you know, hundreds of thousands of people have died and a lot that I know, you know, um, but I was fortunate as in the way it served my work because I couldn't leave. So I lived with him for months. It was me and him. And I had uh, an absolute ball um, playing him. And I, and I fell for him just like I fell for juice. And, uh, you know, I fell for other characters I played, but he was a really sympathetic one because I think, cause he was so dangerous in the beginning. And then you come to realize that he's not dangerous. I've also, you know, based him on a few people that I knew and, or I had met in my travels and, and, um, you know, you always pull stuff from people you meet. Was it hard to unwind that character when it was done? No, I was kind of happy to eat. The day I finished, I had like a bunch of pancakes and a bowl of Fruity Pebbles. I hadn't had Fruity Pebbles since I was like 11. I immediately had the worst headache I've ever had. And I hit the floor for real. I actually nope. fell to the floor. No shit. Yeah. I haven't had Fruity Pebbles since I was 11 or probably 10 or something. And I, uh, no knocking on Fruity Pebbles because I fucking love them. Um, but I romanticized them in my head and I wanted to have a giant bowl when I was finished with Gene because I had based his character on uh, a lot of my childlike behavior. So for three months, all I did was really watch cartoons from the eighties. No shit. Yeah. And I, when I say it's all I watched, it's actually all I watched was cartoons and commercials from the eighties. Um, and I just wanted to live in that child, not listening kind of childlike <laughs> uh, beauty, the innocence before the world kind of, before you become aware, before, you know, before you become aware that, you know, the trees die, you know what I mean? It was like, I wanted to live in just, the trees are beautiful. And, and, uh, so I wanted to have a big bowl of fruity pebbles and waffles and all that when I was done, because I had, you know, I think I weighed like 141 pounds or something when I was doing it. And what's, what's fighting weight for you? Like 167. Shit. But before I did that role, it was 190. Whoa. Yeah. For another role before it. So I had, I had, I had really gotten a significant amount of weight out of me and it's just cause I wanted to, it has nothing to do with, you know, people get weird about that and I, I, I get it. It's a weird thing, but it's like, again, I am, I'm only in service to the character and Gene was living out of his car. What people have to understand is Gene didn't have a home. You know what I mean? He was eating out of seven 11s and gas stations. So he wasn't going to be, a guy who worked out and a guy who was kept, he was a guy who was unkept. Uh. And once I knew that and I started breathing and living with him, I, uh, but the funny part of it is when I went to eat those fruity pebbles, I hit the floor. I didn't realize that sugar did that to you after you not, you don't have any for three, well, probably six months. I didn't have any. Dude. Yeah. That's quite a wallop. But I love behind the scenes. Oh, I love, I'm glad I asked you about that. How did you guys choose Austin? My wife is a born and bred Texan, Houston, and then Austin. When we met through our connection in the military, um, she was living in Austin. I flew down here. I was doing Sons of Anarchy, and I, I was like, what? I just assumed people were on horses and shit. I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. This is in like 2010. She's like, it's the greatest place in the world. And I said, yeah, 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 we'll see. I was living in LA. And then uh, 
I had to move to New York because I knew I was going to do Luke Cage right after Sons. I had a couple of movies and then I was going to move to New York and I was so excited. It was like the prodigal son returned. Like I was like, yeah. I'm going back to New York City. I haven't been there since I was since 1999. I was like, I'm coming home. And then I got there and I was like, it's fucking freezing here. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Who lives like this? It's fucking freezing and it snows like eight months a year. And I was like, I can't do this. Or it's cold eight months a year. So I, I did it for the duration of the show. And we were like, where are we going to move? Never. I, LA was off the, the, the map. So it was going to be either, you know, somewhere in up, up in California, like, you know, outside of California, Ohio, or Big Bear or something. Or it was going to be, um, we did look in upstate New York for a moment. And uh, again, it was even colder up there. Yeah. yeah. So she was just waiting to kind of throw, cast that line in the water. She was like, Austin. And I was like, no, I was only here once for one night. She was like, Hey, I'll make a deal with you. You take me there for Valentine's day. You don't love it. We won't go. She goes, but, and she was, uh, we had just had, um, Maybe we either just had, or we're about to have Arlo, our second kid. And, uh, I fell in love a few hours in. I was like, this is it. Really? Uh, what was it about it? Just the, besides the energy, like, were there any spots where you're like, yeah, I res this is my spot. Yeah. Yeah. We did the whole thing. We, you know, we had the hotel down by sixth street and, you know, we were doing all that, but here's what it was. I grew up in New York in the eighties and nineties and I was in LA in the early, you know, late uh, 1999 to, you know, everything before 2006. So I saw true artist communities, like where artists were artists, like where you can like go and live like an artist and be around artists, you know, where you can be around and be an artist. And I had never seen that again. That was gone in New York. It's gone. New York is $5,000 for, you know, a one bedroom, you know, uh, LA it's gone, right? You can't be an artist in LA. Um, and I saw it in Austin and I went, Oh, and then again, remember I'm a kid who doesn't know about land. Now we live on all these acres with all these animals. I didn't know. I thought that was like in little house in the prairie. I didn't know that was real. And now that I'm doing it, I don't imagine my life any other way. I can't imagine it, you know, not living on a ranch and not, you know, whatever. And again, it's the seasons of life. I'm so glad I lived those other ones, but I'm either going to die here or in Portugal. So it's one or the other. What's the, what's the draw to Portugal? The Algarve? I don't know. I've never been there. It's one of those things I'm fantasizing, like in a, um, what do you call it? I've been all over it. I've never been there. It's like, uh, the end of, um. Shawshank Redemption, mm. where he just keeps imagining something. It's going to be yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I'm not going to let it break my heart yet, but I want it to be amazing in my mind. Yeah. That's my kind of like, uh, my hope that it's as amazing as I believe it is. Maybe it is. It's the largest place with expats, but I think it's going to be the ranch. Yeah. Yeah. In a I mushroom see. suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I want to ask you one <clears throat> final question and it's, it's about, it's, it's about parenting. Mm. And I know that your experience growing up, you grew up yeah, basically that. without your dad mm -hmm. and how that has informed your, your kind of way of showing up for your kids. 
So what an interesting way of life, right? If you look at it all like a story. The, if my father had never been the man who he was, I wouldn't have the life I have. The good, the bad, the ugly. I needed him to be who he was. And when my uncle kind of came in and he was the figure in my life that I looked to, and then he died in 04 while I was at a rap party for this movie. And, you know, I've told this story before. He didn't, this is pre, like he wasn't good with text messages. So he used to write me handwritten letters at the hotel every day. And when I say every day, like, you know, by the time they got there from New York to Toronto and the last letter he wrote me, cause I used to call him pop and he used to call me son. He said, uh, just remember even in death, I'll always be with you. And he died in his sleep the next night. Wow. Right. It's fucking absolutely insane. I have the letter framed. When my birth father, who I didn't, I just, he was fun to be around. I didn't know that he was this massive criminal and, you know, was doing all this horrible stuff and was cheating on my mom like crazy. I didn't know any of that, you know, and I didn't care. I was eight or nine. Like I just knew that we used to go to the arcade together and he was fun and he was whatever. As I started to realize that and I started to demystify who he was, you know, by the time I came around to wanting to approach him again in 2010 when Sons was a success and I looked up on the internet and I found out he died in September 29, 2009. And I found that out from, you know, my buddy who's a, a, a cop said, just go on like publicrecords.com. You can find out anything about anyone. I needed all that to happen, not just to become who I am personally, but to be the father I am now to my two sons. It's like if they're all pieces of the puzzle, we're, we're starting to form the picture. If, if we're Voltron, we've gotten like a few good parts here. And it's almost like I now know that they needed, that needed to happen for me to be who I am and something's going to happen to me that my sons need and so on and so on and so on till hopefully, you know, you're building this thing with your, with your family. So the reason why I am the father I am right now in every aspect and why I'm they're everything to me. I mean, like when I say everything, every decision I make is based on them. But at the same time, I'm striding this line of like, you know, uh, to live is to suffer, right? To survive is to find meaning in the suffering, right? That's the, that's the line that I love. And it's true because I'm not giving them this absolutely charmed life. I'm still the disciplinarian. I'm still, you know, whatever. And that's the fine line you have to, you have to ride between when you didn't have someone there, you want to overdo it. Hmm. But at the same time, if you had an, even if you had someone living there, but they were an absentee dad, and then you want to overdo it, you can't do that either because that's not going to serve them well in the future. So it's like my whole thing is I'm growing. I was uh, speaking with this actress yesterday on a Zoom for this movie we're doing, and she's you know raising two little boys, and she said I'm growing men here. You know, she's a single mom saying I'm growing men. And I love that. It's like, you're, you're growing humans. Let's, let's leave it, whether it be boys or girls, 
you're growing humans. You're preparing them for the world. So that's my job. When I say what's my job every day in the moment that I'm doing, my job with them is I'm to give them the best life possible, to prepare them for the world when I'm gone because I'm going to be gone. That was informed to me by the experience I had. If I didn't have that experience, I'm not the dad. I'm not the dad. So God, I'm closer to my birth father now in death than I ever was when he was alive. Ever. I talk to him all the time. Because that's part of it. We all know that if you've lost somebody and I've lost tons, you don't really go anywhere. You're still there. He's gone. That's silly. You're taking a you're 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 taking advantage of the physicality of them being in front of you. But close your eyes. They're right there. And I think once you can bridge that stuff in your mind, it's incredible. So yeah, I'm I'm really fortunate. I don't look back on my childhood as anything less than being very fortunate. Mm, that's beautiful. I, I love just your reflection on, you know, no matter what home you grow up in, you know, and for me, I, my both, my parents, my parents were together. My dad was really strict. Mm. And uh, there was a part of me, the little boy in me that didn't like that. And, uh, though I'm so grateful for the way he raised me because I was, you know, created this resilience in this yearning, all that stuff that don't know that it would have been there, you know, and that served me really well. The only kind of, you know, the place where I really struggled was trying to be so much not like him that, um, you know, not having as tight a boundaries where he was super strict. I was a little bit more, you know, I've been a little bit more porous with that. And it's just the stuff that I'm learning. And just like anything else, like, I don't care how my kids are going to be, I'm still going to be parenting in some way. And so how can I show up for them mm-hmm. better so that their life is more informed? Not that we're trying to save them from any experiences, but try to give them tools through the experience of me being their dad. And you're, what can you're I do? preparing them in any way that any other animal prepares their young. You're preparing them for what's outside. If life is a jungle, you're preparing them to go into the jungle. That's the way I look at it. We're no different. The biggest mistake that I feel that humans have made as someone who's in touch with nature all day, every day, especially a lot of different kinds of animals is that we've removed ourselves from everything. We removed ourselves from the trees, we removed ourselves from every living organism, and yet they're all doing everything similar, except for us. So all you can do is prepare your young for the world that we know a little bit more about. The way I look at your dad, the way I look at my dad is they were just having human experiences as well. With the, with the tools that they had. <laughs> and those right. poor guys, they didn't have many. They didn't have many. So good for them. Yeah. I do want to wrap with this. Mm-hmm. Why should people watch Emily the Criminal? Oh, gosh. Why should they watch it? Because it's only 90 minutes long. So <laughs> there we good. go. Yeah, it's, uh, it'll hit you right in the face. It's kind of like going on a Six Flag ride. It never stops. It's mm. full, fast motion at all times. And uh, you might learn a thing or two about um, credit card scheming. <laughs> 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you're working on right now that you're promoting? Yeah, I, no, I, I get a, I, I'm one of those people that just always has something coming out. I have another movie coming out November 4th called Dear Zoe with myself and uh, Sadie Sink from Stranger Things fame and the new movie, The Whale. She plays my daughter, which is a little fun one. Um, I have a Star Wars animated series coming out that I do a voice in, which was kind of a bit of a bucket list thing for me. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. I think it's the first Jedi. I don't know. If you don't mind me asking, and I don't need, I'm not asking for dollar amounts, but those things pay as well as you think? They don't. No. Okay. Yeah. Easy work though? Easy work. Okay. Yeah. I have, oh yeah. Speaking of, I have a narrative podcast out right now, season two called The Lower Bottoms which is really fun. It was my first dive into episodic podcast. Yeah. Wait, talk more about this. So a couple of years back, I got uh, asked to do, while I was doing True Story, matter of fact, um, I got asked to do uh, a podcast. They do episodes of television shows via podcast. So it's called The Lower Bottoms. There's like eight episodes, I think. I'm probably wrong. Don't get mad at me, Dominique or Jack, the creators, Dominique. Um, and it's a bunch of actors that are playing characters in a room similar to this, more of a studio setting and you read your episodes and Kelsey Grammer narrates it. And it's this beautifully well done. I mean, we're on season two, Will Packer produced it, iHeartRadio and it's, uh, it's incredible. I've never even knew narrative story form episodic podcast existed. That's awesome. Yeah. And I play a guy named Mayor Lenny Martelli. Well, he becomes mayor, but um, spoiler, <laughs> spoiler season two. We're um, not bleeping that out. Yeah. Either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lenny Martelli. And uh, it's amazing. It was so much fun. And uh, like I said, we're on season two of that. That just came out um, season two. And then uh, about to go film a couple of things. And then there's like four other movies coming out all within the next. Uh, those will all be out next year. That I just finished. So I don't know, guys, I'm exhausted. It sounds, sounds like a lot of work. It, it, I love it. Generally, um, how much time are you going to be on location for these different movies? I know it varies, but like you've gone for a month, you got the, the new ones, like three or four months. Yeah. So yeah. will, will your wife and yeah, they boys come, come out. I, I come home as much as I can. I'd rather come home because I don't want to put it on them three to fly. So I always just come home as much as possible. They come out always, especially if I'm in a nicer locale, they love it. Um, I used to not be good with that, but I'm better at it now because uh, usually I just like, like the gene thing. I like to kind of live. Um, I like to live with the person. Yeah. But it's great now because I also know that I'm a father and a husband and that's more important than anything. So Beautiful. Where can people find you? Instagram. All that nonsense. Do you have a website? No, just okay. Instagram and yeah. Twitter. And I barely, I'm not good at it. Yeah. You and you and me both. I'll, uh, we'll make sure to link to all this good yeah, stuff. Link it all. Dude, thanks so much for coming. It's been <laughs> so rad. Me. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad well, we did this. Glad we did the tour of this incredible place. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I appreciate you. Yeah. It's like pretty awesome going. what you do here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for showing up. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. 
If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.